Epicor is the essential partner to the world's most essential businesses, offering ERP solutions built for growth and operational success. Explore the industry productivity solutions we curate for the automotive, building supply, distribution, manufacturing, and retail industries by visiting epicor.com slash essential. That's E-P-I-C-O-R dot com slash essential. Welcome to the Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard. The podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business success, build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's the Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Welcome back to the Boost Podcast. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, we feature Seth Goldman, co-founder and TEO emeritus of Honest Tea and executive chair of Beyond Meat. This conversation is a playback from Small Business Network at Montgomery Community Media. Seth's topic was keeping it honest for 20 years. During our conversation, Seth provides a glimpse into strategies he's used to optimize relationships and tap into new markets during his company's wildly successful 20-year history. Let's listen in. A little bit of uh, fun facts. Honest Tea is the nation's top selling organic bottled tea, specializing in beverages that are organic and fair trade certified. In March of 2011, Honest Tea was acquired by a Coca-Cola company, becoming the first organic and fair trade brand in the world's largest beverage distribution system. Honest Tea and Honest Kids is sold in more than 130,000 stores in the U.S. and Europe, including Wendy's, Subway and Chick-fil-A. And McDonald's. Oh, wow. And Mickey D's. Seth also serves on the board of Ripple Foods, Yale School of Management, and the American Beverage Association, as well as here, Bethesda Green. Oh, and also, he's the executive chair of Beyond Meat, which is a newer venture. So welcome. Thank you. So nice to be back with you, Kelly. Yeah. Awesome. So it's funny, Seth and I initially, when we were getting started, we were taking this stroll down memory lane and I pulled out my bottle of honest tea. So I got this bottle from Seth, like five, actually almost five years ago to the day. Yeah. And so I shared it with him and I was like, Oh, you know, this is probably worth something now, right? Because they don't even bottle them <laughs> like this anymore. Well, that bottle and that particular variety. So, yeah, that's a special bottle. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, but for those of you, for, for those of, that are watching or as well as here in the television studio, tell us more about sort of your background yeah. and the Honest Tea story. Yeah. Yep. So I actually grew up outside of Boston and I moved down to Bethesda in uh, 1990. Uh, Five, just after graduating from the Yale School of Management, I started working with the Calvert uh, Group, which used to be based right in downtown Bethesda. And uh, I was doing the marketing and sales for their socially responsible funds. Um, But I I always had that entrepreneurial itch, and I was kind of thinking about what would be the right idea that I could go out and launch myself. And actually, you know, my background had been in, um, I worked on Capitol Hill, and I worked in nonprofits, so it wasn't necessarily going to be a for-profit business. But after a presentation I gave in New York for Calvert um, to a bunch of institutional investors, which felt a little stuffy, I went for a run in Central Park. And after the run, I went to uh, one of these shops they have, just you know where all the um, food is sold. And I looked at that cooler and I saw tons of options, but nothing that I was thirsty for. And I said, how can it be that there's hundreds of varieties and I'm not thirsty for any of them? And I remembered how when I was in business school at Yale, my professor and I had discussed the idea of a less sweet drink. 
And I thought, you know, maybe this is the idea. And I don't know anything about the beverage business, or at the time I didn't, but maybe that's what I should be doing. And so I reached out to the professor, who's, who's Barry Nelbuff, and he's the one who signs the bottle with me on the back. Oh, wow. And I said, I think I'm ready to do something about this. And I wasn't sure at the time, was it going to be, you know, we had talked about doing sort of a, like a, a juice and seltzer line or, you know, something like that. But he had just come back from India where he'd been um, studying the tea industry and he had come up with the name Honest Tea. Hmm. And it's funny that that's what settled it. But I'm like, well, that's such a great name. Yeah, it is. That's what we're going to do. And so uh, I gave, you know, a few months later, um, well, we started brewing tea at our, in my house and up in, in Barry's house and then um, kept feeling like there was something to this idea. Mm-hmm. And so a few months later, I, I told the, um, the CEO of Calvert I was going to uh, leave a, you know, a great job and an up-and-coming um, role in a company to go launch a, a, a tea company. Mm-hmm. And she said, wait, really? <laughs> Good luck with <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's what I did. And we started out in my house. This was in 1998 now. Wow. And, um, you know, so started literally with uh, five thermoses. And we got a, an empty Snapple bottle that we pasted a label on and said, this is, uh, and I got, man, managed to get in front of the Whole Foods buyer and said, I want to sell this in your store. And, wow. uh, you know, it was one of those both amazing but terrifying moments of the buyer said, okay, well, we'll take 15,000 bottles. And wow. <laughs> I had to, um, you know, scramble, figure out how to make the tea, how to, how to raise the money to, mm-hmm. to pay for the production, how to get the labels, the formulation, the, to buy the caps, the labels, all of it. But um, we managed to get, uh, make our first delivery in May of 1998 to wow. the, the, what was then Fresh Fields. It became Whole Foods okay. here in the Mid-Atlantic, and, and uh, we've been selling tea ever since. Now, so you mentioned you started in your house, yeah. and then this huge order comes through. And so I'm picturing, like, <laughs> Ethel and Lucy from I Love Lucy with this crazy distribution center. So, like, yeah. what did your wife think oh, during this she whole she was just process? so amazing the whole time. She was on board. She really was, and, and I'm so fortunate that she still is on board. Right. Um, but we went through a lot. Um, you know, it was, um, we literally, she, you know, she knew I didn't know what I was getting into, mm-hmm. but she really knew that I had that itch to try something. And so she was just so supportive. And, and um, she had, a, she was working in Arlington at a, a homeless shelter. And because I um, had left my job at Calvert, we relied on her um, job for our benefit, for our health benefits. Mm-hmm. And um, so she was kind of holding the, <laughs> you know, holding up uh, the weight a, a lot for us economically at the time, which, of course, in a homeless shelter isn't that, right. <laughs> that much. Right. But wow. um, she has been so supportive the whole time. And, and um, you know, one of the other interesting dynamics that happens is that literally the day Barry and I were in my kitchen or in our kitchen brewing tea, um, my wife, Julie, walked in. She had just been taking our four-year-old for his checkup, and he had had a really high blood pressure, which, of course, Ooh, isn't normal wow. for a four-year-old. Yeah. It turns out he was going to need major cardiac surgery within a matter of weeks. So wow. talk about, you know, an intense moment. You know, I've just left my job. We're trying to we're getting ready for this big sales um, meeting, and um, our, we find out that our son was going to have to have this huge operation. And, wow. Yeah, so it was intense, and, and uh, I'm so lucky that um, she was a great, and still is a great partner for me. Beautiful. That's awesome. So you started in Montgomery County, in and the, then 20 yeah, years Chase, later, yeah. you're still here. Absolutely. Same why house, Montgomery same County? Uh, yeah, why Montgomery County? Same zip code. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the easy answer is this is where we were living, and I started you know, the company out of my house. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but the, the longer answer is it's been such a wonderful place to, to build a business, to build a family. 
um, to be part of a community. And as you mentioned, you know, we created Bethesda Green, which yeah. is our... So one of the funny things that happened, and this is great to share with the local audience, that when I started, we had all types of fancy investors who would come in and give us advice, you know, sort of their, their insights. And, and they'd say, well, you know, you've got this natural tea. You don't really want to address on, like Bethesda on the label. You should set up a P.O. box in Vermont or New Hampshire. <laughs> I, I said, number one, that's not honest, right? right. <laughs> Uh, number two, what's the matter? Why can't Bethesda be a place where green right. businesses come to life? And we've got, you know, this, this whole area, the whole county, we've got such an educated workforce. Yeah. We've got this um, real connection to the amazing, an amazing natural environment around us that yes. a lot of people are really connected to. And um, so when I, um, in part of my, in the back of my mind, when, I, when we launched Bethesda Green uh, 10 years ago, and tonight is it's, we're celebrating the yeah. 10th anniversary of it, um, I thought, you know, I want this to be a place where green businesses are started, where people who have that insight about sustainability, you know, can feel like this is the place where these businesses should be created. Awesome. So now you started out small. Yeah. Then all of a sudden the big boys. Well, not catch. all of a sudden. <laughs> there were, okay, there was there some were ten, time, year, 10 years of really hard work. What yeah. advice would you give to yeah. someone, a small aspiring yeah. entrepreneur who's just getting started and maybe is thinking, has this vision, a yeah. longer-term dream of going at a national yeah. level. Well, you got to get it right. Um, so, so, and what that means is just a lot of iteration, a lot of, we continually had to like improve the taste of the product, the labeling of the product. So here's some funny examples. When we started, it said honest tea and we said freshly brewed and barely sweet. And we were trying to figure out how do you communicate what exactly is in the product because we want people to know. But when we said freshly brewed and barely sweetened, People read it as barley sweetened. Like, oh, I've always wondered that. What does barley sweetened mean? I don't, it's like, well, okay, well, that we had to fix. So we, we evolved. Eventually, we ended up on just a tad sweet, okay. which for us was like the right way to describe a product that's it's not as sweet as everything else, but it's not totally unsweetened. Right. Of course, some of the drinks are, are unsweetened. But, um, so that was one thing we had to work on. And then the formulation of the product, how it tasted. Um, the label, I would say, we got right. Well, there were two things we got right from the start. The first was, um, you know, the name. Mm-hmm. The general appearance hasn't really changed yeah, much. Um, and then I think that mission, the sense that we knew what we were trying to do. We were trying to make a healthier drink. We were trying to make a more sustainable drink and one that could really be connected to the communities we source from. That all we got right. <laughs> Everything else we we didn't get right. So it just <laughs> took a lot of work to to. Uh, and so I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to go build this thing overnight and it just it takes time and and you really have to keep tweaking it until you've got something that really has traction and once you have traction then you take you know that extra step whether it's the financing or hiring people to Mm -hmm. go there but but i think sometimes people try to go from zero to 60 overnight and you know really we it took us um about eight years before we became the best-selling tea in the natural foods industry and once that happened we knew we had a launch pad to go more uh, broadly, and that's when we basically took on more financing, and we did, um, you know, eventually take on the interest from Coca-Cola, which, okay. which for us really helped scale the business. Right. So, food and beverage in itself is a pretty crowded space. It's tough, and it, you probably, you know, got bloodied and bruised up yeah, a handful of times. You yeah, made some mistakes, tons of mistakes. Like, what would you say were some of your bigger oh. mistakes, and then what lessons? Did yeah, you learn so it that? is. It's a very challenging industry because it's not like you have necessarily a competitive advantage, right? You don't. You certainly don't have more money than there's. There's bigger companies out there with right, more money. Yeah. Um, they have a lot more R and D. They have a lot more um, market research they're doing. They have the power of distribution that that the small company doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, one of the challenges was production. So we 
initially, as I said, we started it at my house. We couldn't, when we got that order from Whole Foods, we couldn't make it out of my house. So, so I literally went with a, with a friend of mine. We went to just every type of um, production facility on the East Coast. We went to a, you know, a soda plant, a beer plant, a jelly, where they made jelly. Um, anybody who was putting liquid in a bottle was, was fair game. We, uh, we ended up making our first production run up in Buffalo at an apple juice packing plant. Um, and it was fine. But, you know, what happened was, we, so in the first year when we were getting started and, and there was basically one production run was good for a few months, we were fine. But as our order started to grow, the apple plant was like, well, it's apple season now. We're making oh. juice. And so, <laughs> well, well, that's not going to work. So we made them. Uh, we knew we needed production, but um, we made the mistake of ending up actually owning a, a third of a bottling plant outside of Pittsburgh. Oh. And those were the six worst years of my life. It was just brutal wow. because I was driving back and forth to Pittsburgh. It wasn't my wheelhouse in terms of either my passion or my talents. Um, it was just a total distraction. I was, you know, instead of building a brand, I was worried about change parts and boilers, mm-hmm. all these things that just aren't really building the long-term proposition. Right. So I think you always have to make sure you really understand what business you're in. Okay. Um, and and uh, it is. I, I talk to a lot of food entrepreneurs, and I um, <laughs> so many of them tell me, "Well, we're getting ready to buy production for our own facility," and I'm like, "Just don't do that. There's got to be a cheaper way, a better way to do it. Um, it'll take you away from what you're really supposed to be doing if you're focused on building a brand." Okay. And so then let's shift into because yeah. now you're bigger than beverage. You're yes. sort of have this entree into the food industry. Yeah. So tell us what that looks like. Like what caused you to look into that industry sure. and what are some of the things that you're doing there? Sure, sure. So honesty, you know, I started that because I was thirsty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you're hungry, right? <laughs> so about, I guess about six years ago, I got hungry right. and uh, <laughs> I, I saw my role evolving. I still spend half my time with honesty, but I, um, I knew that the, because honesty is now graduated to become part of Coca-Cola's portfolio, that there wasn't going to be the same type of full-time job of being the, the full-time TEO that I had been. And so um, I thought, well, what's, an, what's another chal- area of challenge or opportunity that I could be involved in? And I'm so fortunate that I was able to work out with the Coca-Cola company, an arrangement whereby I could still be an employee for them, but I could also help find another company that I could help scale. And so um, it was just so happened that was, on my, once again, my wife plays the key role. On her birthday um, in 2012, she was reading this article about a company getting started out west called Beyond Meat. And it was seeking to replicate the taste and texture of meat using only plants. Mm-hmm. And we've been vegetarian now for 13 years. But at the time, we were frustrated that there just weren't any good veggie burgers. And mm-hmm. the, the plant-based protein was just a very inferior substitute. So we always knew somebody's got to make this stuff taste better. Mm-hmm. Um, because you shouldn't have to make a sacrifice when you choose that diet. Right. So she said, she said, boy, if this company succeeded, that would be the best birthday present ever. And I, I'm a notoriously <laughs> bad gift shopper. So I thought, well, right. so I sent an email to info at beyondmeat.com. I said, you know, read this article about what you're doing, really excited, because not just for dietary reasons, but if you can help um, reduce the impact of the livestock industry on, on um, the, the planet. Right. That's a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also if you can make it healthier, too. So they emailed back right away. They were going through. So they were just trying to get started. They had a lot of challenges. And here was somebody who had scaled a food business before. And so I ended up becoming an investor, joining the board. And then in this arrangement <clears throat> we made a few years later with Coca-Cola, where I, I took on the role of executive chairman. Wow. And so... Um, Beyond Meat now has grown um, really in a very exciting way. Um, it, the, and the, 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 the big um, opportunity is that Beyond Meat products are not carried in, in the freezer where veggie burgers right. are. They're carried in the meat section yeah. of the grocery store. So we're reaching a much wider audience. But 
Also see the product now carried at places like TGI Fridays or Silver here locally oh, wow. um, and, and other restaurants. And so it's, it's been really fun, and um, we're just seeing interest in this product from all, really all around the world. Nice. So what types of, because you saw, or your wife saw this yeah. opportunity and seized it, what other trends yeah. do you perhaps see in food or beverage? Yeah. And then what are some of the things that entrepreneurs might be able sure. to take advantage sure. of? Sure, Well, there's a lot. So first, um, you know, when, I think whenever you can connect um, impact and opportunity, that's a big, there's a, that's the great nexus, that's a great place to be. So, so with Beyond Meat, right, we're having the impact of, um, on the environment, on mm-hmm. people's health because the product has no cholesterol, it has half the saturated fat. Um, and then the other area where I think there's a tremendous need and opportunity is around health. So um, when you look at the health trends in the United States, they are shocking. And, and the one that I look at is the average life expectancy. There's you know, 200 countries in the world. And so every uh, few years, the UN ranks the average life expectancy of all the countries in the world. So you look at it, you say, okay, well, the US is the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. We have more knowledge of science and medicine and nutrition than any country and civilization has ever had. Yeah. So average life expectancy, we should, and we also spend more per capita on healthcare than any other country. But in the rankings that came out in 2016, you had Japan was ranked number one, you know, long, longest life expectancy. Switzerland was number two. The United States was 37th wow. in average life expectancy, which is like shameful, right? Yeah. How do we have this type of fortune and we've squandered it? And we're, not, we're literally not living up to our potential. Mm-hmm. So I think about, well, if you can bring a product to market that helps people in the world's wealthiest nation leave high, lead higher quality, um, better lives, mm-hmm. how could you, I mean, of course you can fail. <laughs> There's lots of ways to fail, but how could that not be a good opportunity? And so, right. so to me, that's anything that helps people lead better, healthier lives, that, um, but it has to be marketed in a way that is accessible, that's fun, you know, I think. We always try to find that balance. We don't want to talk about, um, we never use the word diet here uh, with Honest Tea. We always want to try to talk. We want to make it look and taste delicious. It has to. If it doesn't, all those efforts don't feel, you know, won't work. And the same with Beyond Meat. We don't talk about, we don't even use the word, I mean, it is a vegan product, but we don't talk about vegan and vegetarian on the product. We just say plant-based protein. Okay. And we, and we focus on making it delicious. It has to be great. Uh, and so, um, to me, when you can combine both sort of the need people have to lead to be healthier and find a more sustainable way to grow and deliver a product that delivers it. That's, that's a great place to be. Awesome. We're going to open up the floor for questions here momentarily. So if you have a question and you're in the studio, get ready to uh, just share that with Seth. Um, but my next question kind of yeah. takes a, a little bit of a shift because as you were describing the story around Beyond Meat, of course, if I was Beyond Meat and I get this email from <laughs> Seth Goldman, I'm going to be like, of course I want your help. Yeah. But how have you been able to leverage your influence in the industry to serve on boards? Because I know yeah. you do yeah. serve on a, lo- a lot of boards. Yeah. Well, um, so the first thing is you have to find people who, in the case of Beyond Meat, was incredibly fortunate. And, and by the way, the founder was uh, he grew up in Maryland as well. Oh, so, nice. Uh, but you have to find people who who have who are welcoming. I mean, and just you know, sometimes someone sort of uh, come forward with an idea, but they don't necessarily. They think they know everything, or they think they know what they're you know, only what they're doing, and they want to. And so, so fortunate that Ethan Brown, the CEO of Beyond Meat, was just totally welcoming, uh, and we've just had such a great partnership because of that. Uh, and then you know what has happened. Um, a lot of the decisions that, that and input I've had around Beyond Meat are strategy, packaging, branding. 
Uh, but then there's customers too. There's a lot of customers that Honesty has been fortunate to work with, mm-hmm. and um, those same customers make sense, you know, right. uh, for Honest, uh, the Honesty customer makes sense for Beyond Meat as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and then I think part of it is the reputation. You know, we we have I, I I'm very proud of the fact that Honesty now 20 years into its life has been able to be continue to be regarded as, as a mission driven company. Yeah. We've really kept that intact despite the. I think a lot of people assumed once Coca-Cola made the investment and then the acquisition that we were going to lose what we stood for. We were going to you know, move away from our mission, and that just hasn't happened. And I think that um, certainly helps you know, people pay attention. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I think I, I had emailed you. I had a conversation with some of the folks at um, Coke Consolidated. Right. And, you're, and I had mentioned, oh, I'm going to be with Seth. And they're like, oh, my gosh, he's such <laughs> a great guy. So your reputation is just stellar oh, thank you. in the marketplace. Thank you. So, so, yeah, you've been definitely keeping it honest. So, <laughs> That's walking what we say. the walk and talking That's the talk. That's what we try. Wow. I hope you were inspired by my short conversation with Seth Goldman. As I reflect on our conversation, I'm reminded not to despise small beginnings. In a 20-year period, Seth moved from his kitchen to Coca-Cola. That is serious. So stay encouraged, folks. Thank you again for joining us. This concludes our episode of the Boost Podcast. I want to thank the team at Montgomery Community Media for allowing us to use this audio for playback. Hey, if you've got a moment, it would mean the world to me if you could please write a review, subscribe to the podcast, or share it with a friend. For more information, you can check out kellytleonard.com. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. I am KT Leonard on LinkedIn and Facebook and Kelly T. Leonard on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you to our producer and master of all things podcasty, Claude Jennings, and thank you so much for joining us. A payroll and HR company needs to be prepared for whatever is going to happen. You could say that over 70 years of experience helping businesses all over the world run smoothly is good preparation. But for ADP, that's not enough. To make sure millions of people are getting paid on time and in compliance, we're staying on top of each new piece of legislation. So when it comes down to it, ADP isn't just a payroll and HR company. We're the company that helps you navigate the complexities. ADP, HR talent, time, benefits, and payroll. Informed by data and designed for people.